Pace Line is supported by LEL Cycling. The coast is calling. LEL's shore collection embodies the spirit and style of the California coast. All LEL products are crafted in Southern California for shipment worldwide. Now, on to the show. From Red Kite Prayer, this is The Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels. I'm Celine Yeager, and with me is my co-host, Patrick Brady. Each week, we take a look at how cycling fits in our lives. How was your 4th of July? It was good. You know, it was, I mean, for me, it was effectively really a four-day weekend. So that part was pretty awesome. Mm -hmm. I had my boys for most of the 4th and the 5th. I got out for quick rides early in the morning. Yep. Um, and then a buddy of mine wanted to go on this birthday ride for other friend, uh, another friend of mine, a whole bunch of my friends of mine were going. I would otherwise have been on the ride if I wasn't on daddy duty because right. mom was off at work that day. So I told him, well, bring your daughter over here. I'll take everybody to the pool. It's the 4th oh. of July. They'll have a great time. It's the pool and you get to go on the ride. Um, and so everybody had a great time. Uh, we actually went to fireworks on the third, uh, oh. the, the town of Windsor nearby. I, it's really weird. I could have gone to fireworks three nights in a row. Windsor on the third, Santa Rosa on the fourth. And then uh, out in Monterio, they did it on the Russian river on the fifth. Wow. So I only saw fireworks the one night. Uh, I think I've heard them every night for the last eight, oh. but <laughs> it's like the revolutionary war here. They, they, <laughs> they legalized the damn things last year. Like it's uh -huh. always been illegal. And now it literally does sound like the revolutionary war for the whole week. It's a week of, of 4th of July celebration because you can buy a lot of stuff now. And even though there's supposed to be this quote unquote curfew, uh, 10 o'clock, the cops are like, unless we pull up and you're literally lighting the fuse, there's nothing we can do. You could be surrounded by boxes of Roman candles and M80s and everything else, drinking beer, you know, with one in your hand. But unless you're lighting it, there's nothing they can do, <laughs> you know, except go, don't do that. And let's drive away. <laughs> so... It's, it's kind of, I mean, it's, it's okay, but holy crap, my dog does not love them, you know? So, and I right. know that there are people who, we used to have a couple of dogs that they went nuts, but yeah. it's super stressful when you have like babies, animals, like that kind of stuff where it, you know, the household becomes pretty frenetic when it's going on. We actually got a chance. We went over to, my husband works on top of this old flat iron building on the south side of Bethlehem, overlooking the steel stacks from Bethlehem Steel in Bethlehem, which are now a giant entertainment center. And Ooh. they had a party on the roof with ice cream and beer. And we just got to sit on top of this roof. And you could see all, like, all the fireworks I'm talking about, like all the backyard fireworks going off <laughs> until the main event, which we had this amazingly clear. It's the best firework seat i think i've ever had it was really cool wow it was a really beautiful night and it was just like wow this is best like very few people up on this roof and it was it was really cool that's the only yeah. night that we saw them and yeah it was good my my brother and his family were in town so dave and i would just get up and you know ride and do our rides in the morning and then like you're saying like went to the kutztown fair which has like pennsylvania dutch a lot of pennsylvania dutch food you know Schnitzels and funnel cake and pickles on a stick and a, they roast an ox somewhere in there. And oh. Yeah, it's it's a whole thing. We we rode to it and we rode home, uh, which is a good way to do it because it halfway justifies eating your way around the, the fair. Uh huh. Uh, yep. Spent the rest of the time swimming and hanging out. So yeah, good holiday all the way around. Nice. Okay, I gotta ask one question though. What sort of beer sure. pairs with ice cream? What kind of beer pairs with ice cream? 
Well, it's funny you ask that because Yingling, which is our local brewery, actually has its own ice cream line. Because okay. they believe that there is like beer and ice cream pairing. Uh, you know, it, you have to be creative. Like you can have a good ice cream sandwich with a stout if you want to add a little summer to the winter or, okay. uh, you know, I think there are ways to do it. There are ways to do it. I just stuck with IPAs. Well, see, that's the thing. Savory foods go really well with IPAs, not sweet stuff. Right. And so I'm trying to think, yeah. you know, chocolate chip cookie dough and a cloudy IPA. No, that's not. Yeah. I can't. I can't. No, go unless there. you have like a. Mm, green tea, like a green tea ice cream. Ever have any of those? Those are pretty yummy. Like something not super sweet, I think might complement it. But yeah. uh But see, to me, the yeah. whole point of ice cream is sweet. Sweet. There. <laughs> That's fair. I I may be a little narrow in my outlook. I, I, I think I, the, I think that. the idea was ice cream for the children, grown up beverages for the adults. I think that was their thinking, and the but. You know, the children did not dip into the beer, but the adults definitely dipped into the ice cream sandwiches, <laughs> Klondike bars and all that. Right. Because yeah. why are you going to pass up ice cream? Who right. That? Exactly. No. Yeah. So, yeah, it's good right. times. <laughs> Very cool. All right. What do you got this week? What are we into? I have a little story. Let's settle back and have a little story time. Okay. Going to be my poll. So. This was a this I want to just start by reading this Facebook post that went up a few weeks ago from our local cycle cycling community in one of our Facebook groups for like the velodrome, you know, our local cycling track. Uh, So this man writes, so when your heart stops beating, you're supposed to die. Thankfully, I had a guardian angel and EMT riding just behind me. Prompt CPR and medical attention saved me. I'm going to celebrate June 8th as my second birthday because this truly is a second lease on life. Friends and cycling community were a constant source of support and lots of food. I thank you all. Now I just need to find my guardian angel and thank him personally. Any ideas who he might be? Anyone hear anything? Please let me know. I owe him a beer and my life. Not necessarily in that order. Four stents. Arctic Sun Protocol, uh, which is therapeutic hypothermia for cardiac arrest, for people who don't know. Six broken ribs, a fractured catechal, and a fractured clavicle are a very small price to pay to be alive. Thank you all again for all the help and support this past week. So. Holy cow. Right? I I mean, I like just perusing Facebook, like drinking my espresso that day. And I was like, What? You know, like, hey, like, how can this guy not know who saved like he like he wakes up in the hospital and he has no idea who saves him? Yeah. And nobody bothered to get get it a name. T- it, it's crazy. It took a few days. Well, you know, and, and I in, in retrospect, I sort of can understand how it all went down, because when stuff like that happens, it's chaotic and crazy and almost like what surreal. Did that really happen? So anyway. After a million people blew up the Facebook post, in a nutshell, this is what happened. Um, Vikram is his name, the man who had the event. Uh, you know, he's one of our usual cycle, cycling usuals. I've done some gravel events with the guy. He was on his way to a charity ride that Saturday morning, and he wanted to do some miles before the miles, right? So, because it's like his family was going, his kids were actually going too, but they were driving. So he went out to go for like 15 to 20 beforehand, figured he'll get to the velodrome, you know, do the ride, blah, blah, blah. He actually never makes it, obviously, to the velodrome. And he said he doesn't even think his kids noticed because they were like with their friends and, you know, they weren't exactly looking for their dad at any point in time. So Um, they weren't traumatized, at least not yet. No, no, not yet. They they did not. It seems that they did not know dad didn't make it to the to the ride. They just went off and did. A small version of this cherry ride. Terrific. Anyway, so Vikram has a heart attack and collapses. He has no memory of any of this. The last thing he remembers is being at the velodrome the night before watching races. Mm. Um, car stops seeing him, you know, a car on the road stops, gets his emergency contact off his phone, calls his wife and calls emergency medical services, calls 911. In the meantime, another local cycling guy named Larry, who is a retired firefighter, is on his way to a local, uh, his local club ride. So he's coming down an intersection, sort of 
perpendicular to, to where this is happening. He stops at a stop sign and he looks over to the left and he sees the cyclist down in like a car. And, you know, I talked to Larry and he said it, it just he says it just didn't look right. He's like, you know, you know, people crash and stuff happens and sometimes you see things. But he was just like something in him said this just does not appear right. So he stopped and he turned and went down that road to investigate. And the people in the car, you know, there were a couple of them were afraid to move Vikram. And I think another car at that point had stopped, but everyone's hazy on the details. But anyway, everyone is afraid to move him because they don't know what happened. They think he has a neck injury, you know, whatever. You're not supposed to move people. Everybody hears that. So Larry, being a trained CPR guy, assessed the scene very quickly and immediately starts, you know, barrel rolling Vikram over to perform CPR. And it's funny, he was saying, like, they were all yelling at him, you know, don't move him, don't move him. But Larry's like, I don't know if he has a spine injury, but he's got some bigger problems here. And if we don't attend to those, that won't matter. Right. So, yeah. So in the meantime, and again, everyone's a little fuzzy. Vikram's wife shows up to the scene. So Larry's got him over. He's starting to perform chest compressions. Vikram's wife shows up and asks if she can do the rescue breathing. I, I know. I, oh my God. Yeah, I just got chills. I, I started getting very weepy when he said that. So Larry is doing compressions. His wife is literally breathing her life into him. And they actually revive him. Now, shortly thereafter, this is the story is too crazy to believe. Shortly thereafter, or around the same time, another car stops. And it's a nurse who has an AED. In her car, which for those who don't know, is like a portable defibrillation thing. Right. That, yeah. So now you have two people doing CPR. A nurse comes in with the AED. They put him on. They he they deliver one or two shocks. It's conflicting reports how many there were. It doesn't matter. An ambulance comes shortly thereafter. And the rest, as one would say, is history. Vikram is alive and very, very well. I had lunch with him and Larry last week. They they hooked up and, you know, had that lunch and beer together. Uh, he has a super strong history of heart disease. His dad had a heart attack when he was 34. Ooh. So Vic, so Vikram's actually been under the care of a cardiologist for quite a while. But he but everything's been hunky dory or so they thought um, weren't any signs. He says he's been working a lot. He seemed to be doing a bunch of continuing ed stuff for his job. So he hasn't been riding much. So he said, like, you know, he was going up one of our local hills, Dogwood, a little few days before, and it it just felt hard, but not like, oh, something's wrong with me hard. No chest pains or anything. Just like, oh, I haven't been riding. I've been sitting on my butt hard. Uh, so it, he had no feeling like this was eminent or that anything was wrong. Um, but obviously something was going on and, you know, that happened. Anyway, this is the second time I have had riders who I know who have either been saved or saved someone else with CPR. Years back, one of my teammates came across another rider on the trail while she was mountain biking, and she and the woman she was with performed CPR and saved his life. So I've been certified since 96. And, you know, it's super duper easy to do. I just feel like it's something that all we active folks should consider. Because, you know, people have heart attacks at races and on rides and knowing what to do could mean the difference between keeping them here and watching them go. Yeah. When you put it that way. Yeah. That's, that's my little public service announcement poll for the pace line this week. Yeah. Wow. Um, the, the previous incarnation of the pace line with fatty and hottie, uh, hottie was out, on a group ride, you know, with mutual friends of ours, guys, I did tens of thousands of miles with before I moved away. And, uh, the graphic designer responsible for the RKP logo and the RKP kit and most of the t-shirts that I have, Joe Yule, uh, Joe dropped dead. He oh fell God. off his bike. Fell and off he was his just, bike. And he was just dead. I mean that, yeah. And they revived him. Oh my God, they revived him. No, oh, he yeah. had flatlined. See? But oh my, they see what I'm chest saying? chest compressions, rescue breathing. Yeah. They brought him back. Joe is back and riding in the group once again. Oh my lord. 
See what I'm saying? Like, this is really important stuff. (laughs) Yeah. 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 I mean, but I mean, you know, just for people to keep the presence of mind, you know, like the firefighter, of course, that's his training, but to, to look at something, I mean, imagine riding along and the rider next to you just falls off their bike, no heartbeat. That's going to rattle a whole lot of people pretty deeply. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. I know it would freak me out, but one of the weird quirks of my personality is I tend to be good under pressure. Right. Uh, I tend to think pretty clearly. Yeah. Um, I, I, you know, I'm just, I'm, I'm lucky that way. I go to pieces afterward. Uh, but I'm so grateful that there were people there on the ride who were able to set aside their shock and yes. obvious dismay uh, to go, well, this is what we need to do. Well, you know, and I think that's part of why it's so important to get that certification and that kind of training, because you have to renew it. I think it's every year. Yeah. And you drill it into your system enough that it becomes there's an automatic response that that can happen. You know, like you just like, oh, my God, this is the thing that we've been you know, like dress rehearsing on like every November I'm in there, like doing this thing. So I think that, you know what to do, like that part of your brain is just like, okay, this is, this is it. This is the scenario. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Completely agree. Wow. Well, cheers to Vikram and and cheers to the folks who helped, you know, holy cow. Such a cool story. And yeah, I mean, so many things. So great. I mean, when you hear stuff like that, you're like, wow, okay. Yeah. Guardian Angel, sure. Because what a bunch of serendipity, for lack of any better word. Yeah. I, w- I would be really interested to hear an interview with him and his wife where they talk oh. about that interaction. Yeah. That is that. Well, and Larry, because it's funny, Larry, at, at this lunch... You know, Larry's, he's a firefighter. He's, he's not a very effusive guy. But, you know, as, he, as he's gotten older, he was telling me he's gotten more thoughtful or, or whatever. But he, you know, he, he said while that was happening, you know, he was like, I'm either watching her give him life or be part of his last breaths. You know, and I was just, yeah, I was just, yes. I mean, I, I too, I mean, everybody was wet eyed you know at the table because that's just amazing yeah Whew. yeah um wow i got nothing else <laughs> <laughs> i don't either but go get certified folks yeah they, yeah they have it at almost any just look it up online you can do most of it online actually now and then just do the practical stuff. I do it at the local library. But, huh. Yeah. Neat. Mine is not current and I should go get it current. I did yeah. so much training when I was younger that I'd like to think I'm still, you know, no, you probably do. I mean, I need to keep mine for coaching and personal training. And that's a, probably a good thing because I will be honest, I probably wouldn't be running there every year. I'd forget, you know, or think like, <laughs> oh yeah, I know what to do. And 10 years would pass. But so it's good that, yeah. Yeah. It yeah. forces me to go. Yeah. Not a bad thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this is going to be a little easier to deal with, I think. Uh, <laughs> Your pull? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think this will have fewer challenges. <laughs> I'm, I'm hoping, you know, given the subject matter, we, we could be wrong. Okay. Um, so there's a ride here in Santa Rosa that's been going on for years. It's called the Tuesday Night Ride for eponymous reasons. And it's typically a gathering of Annadale mountain bike group members who do a mountain bike ride up into Annadale State Park on Tuesday evenings. Typically, I can't join the ride because of when it leaves, because I'm being Mr. Mr. Mom, you know, playing dad with my boys after they get out of school. Um, that's that's my time with them. Uh, but right now, because my boys are in day camp. Uh, and don't get home until 6.30 or 7, sometimes even later. Uh, last week, I decided to go on the ride for my first time ever. But I was a little surprised at what I encountered. There were two riders on e-mountain bikes. Now, 
I like <laughs> e-mountain bikes. I like e-bikes in general. I have zero problem with them. You know, I've ridden e-mountain bikes on single track. <laughs> it's good fun. <laughs> However, e-mountain bikes cannot be ridden legally in Anadel. And That's this was not a case of these riders not knowing the rules. They know. And watching the group, I could see that there were some folks who had no objection, some who didn't seem to be aware or care, <laughs> couldn't tell which, uh, and then some who were definitely not down with it. One buddy of mine actually left the ride because he was so dismayed by it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, you know, and e-mountain bikes are a hot button issue in California, uh, hot enough that most nonprofit trail advocacy groups won't touch them. In terms of advocacy, mm-hmm. you know, it's a classic case of you're on your own, kid. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I've actually talked to a couple of friends in advocacy here in California, and there's a di- desire to focus more on the whole more trails aspect of advocacy than trying to advocate for the acceptance of e-bikes. Um, they feel like it's or at least one friend said he feels like it's a land manager issue and that taking up e-mountain bikes as a cause would dilute their efforts at building more trails. Mm-hmm. Um, the issue that I see, the thing that I find really problematic is that manufacturers like Trek and Specialized have built a steady diet of e-mountain bikes for their dealers. If you're a high-level Trek store or a specialized concept store, Part of your dealer agreement is that you'll move so many of those bikes. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got quotas to meet in all sorts of different things from helmets to road bikes, yep. you know, yep. and, and you've got to meet that if you want to keep that level uh, as a dealer. Um, the local shops here selling e-mountain bikes aren't doing, so far as I can tell, anything to educate their customers about the fact that riding this cool new bike they just purchased isn't legal in the single biggest local park for mountain biking. So I see them out there regularly for now. I can say they are at least legal in the regional parks in California, which are all the sort of mid-sized parks. They're bigger than a city park, but not as big Mm -hmm. as a state park on single Uh, track there too. Yeah. Yeah. They're just legal in regional parks, period. Uh, I suppose if they mount a sign on something like, you know, say a bridge and say no bikes, it won't, they won't be legal there, but anywhere where it's otherwise not posted that you can't ride, they're legal in, in Mm -hmm. regional parks. And there are even some state parks because decided in California on a division by division basis, there are actually some state parks I'm told here in California. I don't know which ones, uh, but it's legal to ride mountain bikes in a few of them. Annadel, not in that group, though. Mm-hmm. I have previously written about this as being an issue, and I've reached out to both Specialized and Trek for comment on the ethics of selling e-mountain bikes to consumers without acknowledging to them that they could be ticketed for riding their bike in a place that seems well-suited to it. Mm-hmm. Representatives for neither company ever responded. They just left it. Uh, which... To me is a PR fail, but that's a separate issue. Yeah. I honestly wish we were more like Europe and had a more relaxed attitude about these things. Clearly, they're not evil. Uh, or at least to me, clearly. Uh, I get that some people think differently. My concern really is that they could become a new focal point of hiker and equestrian ire. And that could make trail access a much bigger issue than it is. Mm-hmm. The way I see it, you know, worst case scenario, if I were to lose access to single track that I ride because hikers and equestrians used e-mountain bikes as a way to paint all mountain biking as incompatible to harmonious trail use, I would definitely be pissed. (laughs) And so would thousands and thousands of other mountain bikers. Leaving this to chance strikes me as just being really irresponsible. So I got to ask you, Celine, what's up with e-mountain bikes in your neck of the woods? Yeah, that's that's a uh, I don't really have a whole lot of answers for any of this. I don't think anybody does, which is a huge part of the problem. 
So <laughs> we don't still see a lot of them here because I think it's because of our terrain. It's really technical and e-mountain bikes are not always great on that. You know, I mean, you're definitely faster, but it's I, I've ridden them on my trails right in my backyard and you have to like you don't want to go flying into some of these rock gardens at, at turbo speed. Do you know what I mean? So you have to like be constantly modulating your speed and yep. because it's pedal assist, when you ratchet through something, sometimes it doesn't work so well because you're not ratcheting at the pace or speed that you would like to be ratcheting through something. It's sort of pushing you further into, you know, it, it, it yep. takes, it takes another level of finesse, honestly. It's a different uh, kind of finesse. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It, it really does. And we just haven't, seen a lot of them around i mean that being said i do know that there's a guy out in neighboring town and a a friend of mine was saying that you know he showed up he's got health issues and he showed up on an e-mountain bike and kind of got shamed out of the ride even though i don't think it's prohibited where they were riding and my friend was pissed about that and i think rightly so Mm -hmm. you know because Mm -hmm. this is giving this guy a chance to be part of this community where yeah. otherwise he would be outside of it because of legit health things. And you're going to shame this guy? You know, uh, that's very problematic in my mind. But but to yeah. your point, we have to settle this already. They're here. They're yep. not going anywhere. <laughs> Correct. They're, they're, they're not going Except anywhere. Except further and into the community. <laughs> totally. And and just this whole blind eye thing, I don't it's I think it's a big problem. Yeah. Then, uh, we have to settle it because your point, I think, I think the thing, I mean, once you put egos aside, a lot of it's ego, like shaming that guy. That's just like, oh, you don't want him to be faster than you on your e-bike. I mean, I think there's a lot of that that, go- that goes into this or, you know, you think somehow it diminishes the currency of your fitness when somebody shows up and doesn't have to work as hard as you do or whatever the case. But. But the fact of the matter is, I think when you strip all that away, still the concern is the root concern is exactly what you're saying is these are these the new mountain bikes. And if they will be looked at as the new mountain bikes, are we going to lose trail access? And I think that's, that's a very legitimate concern. And I think it's something that we have to figure out. They don't run into it the same way in Europe. They just don't, but they're, you know, they're, they're, they're very heavily. They being the companies you're mentioning, they specialize track other actors are pushing them real, real heavily. Yeah. And yes, I've ridden them. They're fun. I get it. I'm not opposed, but we really need. And I don't even know what that looks like. I, you know, I know Imba's trying to figure it out. I know everybody's sort of trying, but then nobody's actually, there's no cohesive anything happening that I know of yep. to, to, to sort out where they stand, what it means, how we're going to integrate this stuff. You know, I, I don't know. Yeah. So I talked to people at, two different organizations, advocacy organizations, and neither one of them would really say much of anything about the manufacturers just pushing the bikes out into the community. And the way they were not addressing that question led me to think that I have a feeling that they're so dependent uh, on, on advocacy dollars from those big manufacturers that they don't want to bite <laughs> the hand that's feeding them. Well, and so, and that, yeah. They don't get money me. from very many places. Right. Right. Yeah. Evan Rue's not giving them checks. Right. Uh, you know, Bass Boats Unlimited, not their thing. Um, and I think that that's a, it's a sort of kidnapping that, uh, or, or holding hostage that I think the big companies know they can do that and, you know, get away with it. And, it's just, you know, this is not the way to go. And I'm, you know, I. But then they should be involved maybe in, in making sure that access, because if access is lost, everyone loses. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, it just, it wouldn't surprise me given how some of these organizations work, uh, some of these bigger companies, that there might be a disconnect within the company in terms of seeing you know, on down the field in terms of, well, if we do this, it's going to affect this. And just seeing, connecting all those dots well enough within the organization to say, okay, then we need to put resources over here to help them 
so that right. it doesn't backfire against us. Totally. Totally. I mean, I'm, I'm what, 20 miles from Marin County, the birthplace of mountain biking, where, <laughs> you know, I think it's currently 94% of all single track is off limits to mountain bikes. Yep. Yep. You know, yeah. so, I, you know, on one hand, I'm, I'm next to this and, you know, looking at how badly that's gone because the community couldn't get itself together. And here at home, I'm watching this and as it is, Annadel has a ranger that is honestly pretty hostile to cyclists. Yeah. And so all we need that is that to worsen that relationship with that ranger. Totally. Totally. You know, where's the ball peen hammer that I can use to hit myself in the forehead? Uh. <laughs> it's just, ah, uh, um, and you know, yeah, looking at Europe, I'm with you. They, I love the way that it's so laissez-faire there. They don't have the same access issues. Yeah. Well, they don't have the same hostility to cycling. Well, nowhere, <laughs> nowhere in European culture do you find people going, oh, bikes, shoot them all, <laughs> right. run them over. It's right. Uh, certainly I've seen a little hostility for cyclists or just pinheaded behavior, but it's not this, this seething hatred mm -hmm. uh, that makes it such an us versus them sort of thing. And, you know, that's one of the things about when I visit Europe that I'm always really reluctant to come back to the States. It's like, Oh, <laughs> now I have to worry about getting hit again. <laughs> oh, oh, well, yeah. So having not solved that, <laughs> yeah because we were gonna solve it we're sorry folks we just we're running out of time or we would have totally just solved that yeah. <laughs> oh. but you know well, yeah if well, anybody out there has opinions or ideas or something um, no, i'm sure they don't have any opinions <laughs> um well yeah um uh, we we certainly need to work together on this one boy yeah oh what do you say paceline picks let's go for it Okay. So because it is approximately 10,000 degrees in my office right now, uh, it's very, we are having a July it, and it's, I love July for all of its July, but it's 90 degrees and 90% humidity and very hot. And my office tends to be the hottest in the house. Um, I'm going <laughs> to pick my soda stream as my pick for the, for, for this week. I am kind of bad about drinking plain still water. It's just not really my thing. But I also know that I shouldn't necessarily be hydrating with espresso all day because that's a bad, a bad idea as well. I, really? I see. You, you, yeah, it is a bad idea. Um, <laughs> I like seltzer water. I don't really like buying all those bottles or cans. And some of those drinks have kind of, I don't know, they taste kind of like sock water to me. They have like weird essences of ingredients that sock I don't water. know. <laughs> yeah, just not my, okay. I know everyone loves LaCroix, but it's a little sock watery to me. Sorry, LaCroix. It just... Like, I want either flavor or not flavor. I don't want just like a hint of essence. Anyway, yeah. Um, yeah. so what I, I we got this soda stream and I just love this thing. So I it has a reusable plastic bottle that nice and sturdy. You fill it up with ice cold water. You shoot it full of bubbles. I bring the whole bottle up to my office where I drink pretty much the whole thing. It's probably like a liter over the course of my morning. And I fill it up again in the afternoon and I stay hydrated during these hot summer months. And I feel pretty good about my environmental choice, too, honestly. Mm -hmm. uh, you can get actual soda mixers for the thing, but I I'm not a huge soda person. I've, I've tried some of the tonic. It's not bad. Uh, but I just really like the cold, bubbly water. So I am I am just going to give a little shout of love to the soda stream. The simple soda stream today. Have you ever tried one? No. I mean, I've been thinking about it because they're in Target, right? Yeah, and, and they're super cheap and they're, yeah, they're super easy to use. And I always end up walking right by that aisle after I grab soda on the soda aisle. <laughs> <laughs> then there's that. <laughs> you know, and I mean, I'm still going to drink a certain amount of soda because these things, I'm holding up a can of uh, Mountain Dew Throwback. Uh, they're yeah, awesome. Yeah, I see that. That's they are the, awesome. But I classic. know that I really shouldn't drink very many of those. Right. Uh, Ideally, I should be drinking none of those. Uh, I don't know I, if they have a Mountain Dew mix for the soda stream. I, I wouldn't trust could... it if they did. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> um, fair. But I mean, you know, I'm, I'm willing to shift gears. I, I drink plenty of seltzers. Otherwise, you know, I will have one of these in a day. You right. know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, nah. 
I'm not going through a six pack. Uh, but you know, I mean, this may sometime in the next week or so, this may be the event that actually gets me to go out and just plunk my money down and buy one. Uh, I've got other friends, cyclists yeah. all <laughs> funny. Yeah, yeah. Everybody I know who owns one cyclist, uh, but also uniformly, everyone who owns one raves about it. It's it's a great thing. It's just so easy. And I just keep like a lime in the fridge by the thing and like lime and seltzer water. It's a lovely, refreshing thing. You know, during the winter, I drink tea, but I'm not going to sit here and drink <laughs> hot tea when it's 10,000 degrees outside my door. So uh, it's this and it it definitely helps me stay on top of my hydration. And which is super important because, you know, I rode for 40 miles this morning before work and I lost a lot of water. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. You know, uh, Ben and Jerry of Ben and Jerry's had this Mm -hmm. great theory uh, about relative temperature displacement or something. I forget just what they called it, but they had they had the this theory that, you know, eating ice cream on a cold day made the cold day seem less cold. And so it was actually a really good idea to eat <laughs> ice cream on a cold day. And I'm wondering if maybe hot tea on a hot day couldn't do the same thing. Why don't you come here and try it? <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll do the next one. PA only show. And I'll let you sit here in this office. This pro- I don't know. It's got it's maybe 98. I might be exaggerating with 10,000. And I'll I'll pour you a nice cup of oolong, and I'll let you just uh, see how that works for you. I yeah. think my bluff has just been called. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, well, I mean, you know, if it if it if I could make it back for unpaved and it was hot, then I'd will you know I'd be willing to right. give it a try. I'm kind of hoping it's not boiling for unpaved. <laughs> yeah, all of uh, us, <laughs> whether or not I'm there. Right. Uh, yeah. Uh, anyway, what do you have? So my pick is uh, glasses. Oh, among the many cool. great things. I love glasses. Yeah, I, I, I'm. I do. I love sunglasses. If I had like a ton of money, I would have so many sunglasses. Oh yeah, it would be that would be easy, easy, easy. I'd have more sunglasses than shoes, and I have a lot of shoes. Totally. <laughs> yeah. So among the great many things that the European brand Adidas makes is sports eyewear. They actually make stuff suitable for cycling. Of late, I've been wearing the Adidas Zonic Pro, that's spelled Z-O-N-Y-K, and then P-R-O, with its Vario lens, that's V-A-R-I-O. They have a semi-wraparound look. They... They look like something that Bernard Hinault would have worn in the late 1970s. They're very Euro cool. Mm-hmm. The Vario lens is Adidas' entry into the photochromic lens space. Honestly, I didn't wear these glasses much at first because I got them in the fall. And like many photochromic lenses, they don't feature a hydrophobic coating on the inside of the lens, which uh. is to say they will fog up, you know, mm-hmm. if you even breathe wrong. Trying to coat a photochromic lens is difficult, mostly because the photochromic part of the lens is a coating itself. Mm -hmm. And so many manufacturers just leave it off. But that means that in a damp Sonoma County spring or Sonoma County fall or Sonoma County winter (laughs) or, well, any damp day at all or walking by a bathroom where someone is showering or even breathing (laughs) too hard after you stop on a ride can cause these things to fog up. However, on a sunny summer day, these things are amazing. They feature one of the fastest changing lenses I've ever encountered and are so sensitive that if part of the lens is in direct sunlight and part of the lens is hidden, oh, say by a helmet visor, you'll end up with that part of the lens in direct sunlight being darker than the part in the shade. Wow. It's pretty wild. Yeah. So like you move your head and you all of a sudden you notice like there's <laughs> it's almost wow. like there's a cataract in your lens, <laughs> you know, uh, it's like, whoa, it's oh, OK. Yeah, that's what's going on. Um, the frames come in two different sizes so that if you have a small head like me, you don't have to look like you're wearing a diving mask <laughs> by buying the other ones. And if you've got a giant skull, you won't feel like you're trying to squeeze yourself into a pair of children's glasses. 
They've got two different nose bridges available as well, depending on the shape of your nose. They come with a t- detachable foam bar, like the old Oakley oh factory God. pilots. Yeah, yeah, mounted along the top of the frame to absorb perspiration as it drips down your forehead. Wow. My experience is that if I'm not sweating much, these work pretty well. But if I'm going hard, the foam fills up with sweat and then it eventually just drips down the lens, yeah. which is a total fail. Yeah. So I remove the foam bar and I just hope that all the sweat runs down my face and never hits the, uh, the frame. Yep. Uh, so suggested retail for the Zonic Pro with the Vario lens is 209 uh, If you're doing rides that take you from thick forest to bright daylight, that's, that's really what are for because i go from deep lush redwood forest you know out into a pasture or some other sort of clearing and boom you know the the difference in light between the two is astounding totally got it and there are almost no single color lenses that i can wear comfortably on a mountain bike ride i i I totally believe that i did a race uh, a few years ago where it started in a field on a farm and it was pretty bright and we all it the whole shot was into a strand of uh pine and we almost all just carcassed ourselves because nobody could see we were totally blind like everybody just went in there and all of a sudden we were like just stacking yes it was amazing because no one could see wow (laughs) yeah what a thing yeah it was great She says with a smile on her face. It was so funny. I mean, nobody got hurt, so it was funny. But it was okay. just like we were just like cracking up because like all of a sudden people were just like screeching and banging into each other because like you literally were blind. It was like going from like you were saying from day to night. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah, I hate that. And and I mean, around here. Yeah, those changes can be so great. There's uh, there's this road, Coleman Valley. Get, it's gotten used a couple times in the tour of California. It gets used in Levi's Fondo. After you climb up from the coast, there's some rolling terrain on top. And then just as the descent starts, there's a spot where basically if the sun is up, you're going to be in bright sunlight. Uh, Even if you've got marine layer or something kind of kind of filtering light to some degree, it's still pretty bright right there. And when you dive back into the forest, the difference in light is I have to hit the brakes because I can never quite remember just how the road bends because it's right at a turn. Huh. Yeah, I, yeah, I totally believe that. Having the, the ride we did in Oregon was like that. When the storm started coming in, it was I felt like I was night riding because we were mm. in those giant pine forests, you know. And I was just like, "This is insane! How dark it is!" And it was exciting, but it was crazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I that's one of those things that I'm I'm really pretty adamant about. I I won't. I'm not willing to leave that to chance anymore. Um, yeah. so I've got, at this point, I think I've got four different pairs of glasses that all have photochromic lenses and, uh, these, you know, I didn't know, I didn't know that about the coating that makes sense now. Cause I have a pair that's bad. Like <laughs> I, I didn't know that they fogged. I, I was just like, why are these? So I didn't know that about the coating because I love yeah. them except what you're saying. Right. Right. Um, and, you know, yeah, they very, very few of them have that coating. They're they, you know, it's not impossible to find, but it's unlikely. Hmm. And I sort of wonder if having that coating affects how quickly the lens can change. Oh, because the one pair that has that coating on it are the slowest to change of all the pairs that I've got. That's interesting. Yeah, that would. Yeah. Hmm. But these from Adidas, I, I tell you, they, they change really quickly and they've also got a broad range. You know, some of them don't have that broader right. range from their darkest to their lightest. Yeah. And Mine these, are pretty go, subtle. these go from basically clear to very, very dark. Um, I am intrigued. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they, they have grown on me with time. I guess that's the, <laughs> the way to say it. And and especially now that, you know, it's bright and sunny and dry outside, not particularly humid. Uh, they've really come into their own. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. Maybe, maybe it wouldn't work quite as well in my, uh, the sauna that I live in new Florida, but we'll see. 
<laughs> New Florida. Oh, that paints a picture. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh. Right. Uh, oh, you have a bonus pick this week, don't you? I do. We do. Uh, so, like two weeks ago, we got our paceline kits from Primal. Uh, I got my son to take some pictures of me wearing the kit. So we now have pictures of the kit on a real body. And we, I have written descriptions of this stuff and I've got all the sizes and everything. And it's now up in the store as you are listening. And uh, we have a limited number of kits. So if you want one, I would say drop by soon, unless you're a medium and then you could wait uh, a week or two. <laughs> <laughs> But they're they're really cool. I'm very stoked. The red they used is, you know, you can it's get nice red, red wrong. Mm-hmm. This is yes, have you received it, yeah. yours yet? Has it arrived? I have. I have. Okay. I have not worn it yet because it's seventy five thousand degrees outside, <laughs> and I've just been wearing sleeveless things. But it is a it is a very nice red. It is hard to get. To your point, reds can be kind of look. I'm a jerk. Red, or they can be, <laughs> you know, like. There's a lot of ways the red can go wrong, but these are in very nice red. Like yeah, a class, this is this is like kinda. a sports car red. Yeah, you know, yeah. you'd you'd paint a Mustang this color. Yeah. I would agree. And so, yeah, so uh, they're ready, and we will begin shipping them out as soon as we get the orders. Uh, I'm stoked about this. There were some other problems in my store. One thing not talking to another. I think I've got all that fixed now, but I'll be monitoring this on a daily basis. And excited to get these out to folks. <sighs> yeah. Uh, well, that's a wrap for another episode of The Pace Line. Celine, yes. do you have anything you're pinning on a number for this weekend? Womp, womp. I was supposed <laughs> to. I was supposed to. I was supposed to do. Uh, I was going to make my grand debut back into Xterra racing, which is off-road triathlon racing. Right. Uh, As if yeah. triathlon's not hard enough. <laughs> I love, I used to do them a lot. I did. I actually made it to nationals in Tahoe years back. So that's another story for another time doing an exterior in Tahoe. But I, it, I bumbled it. I had a family obligation that I had forgotten was the same weekend. Womp womp. So no, my grand debut back into the three sport world will have to wait. Um, instead, I'm doing this family thing, which is fine. There's a really fun show. Uh, J.J. Gray and Mofro and Johnny Lang and the North Mississippi All-Stars happen to be playing on Friday night at this local venue, and I'm a giant fan of all of them. So that's my consolation prize. And then I'll just do a really fun ride here. Yeah. Cool. So, uh, yeah. I'm going to share a little something here from from a, a previous life of mine. Uh, I didn't get to go to nationals or anything, but uh, I was once in a band with a mm-hmm. bassist who later went on to play with the North Mississippi All-Stars some. Way, way. That's very exciting. You know, when I get to the end of my life, to the degree that I have any regrets, not having gone to the ends of the earth for that band is one of those things that will plague me a little bit. Our original material was so good. I wasn't writing it. I was helping to arrange, but I was not the writer. The songs were just so good, so good. And at the time, our bassist, Paul Taylor, was 15. <laughs> he, he was the son of a musician and the stepson of a musician and just had it just oozing out of his pores. That's crazy. I, I nudged him with a, a couple of recordings of Jaco Pistorius, and pretty soon he was pulling the frets out of his bass. That kid was a lot of fun. And now, you know, he's nearly 40 and, you know, or maybe he has had his 40th birthday. He's a big part of the Memphis music scene. I think he still does play with the North Mississippi All-Stars on occasion. He's one of these guys who's just kind of uh, in demand all the time. And he's not just a bassist anymore. He plays guitar. He plays drums. You know, it's like if you need somebody, you can call him and he'll do whatever is missing. Wow, that's cool remarkable guy yeah but they are an awesome band and yeah they are i know a few of the other acts you were speaking of that will be a very fun time yeah i've seen mofro uh, jj gray and mofro is a huge it's one of my desert island bands like if you could only pick like 10 Mm -hmm. that would be one to go with me so it's and i've seen johnny lang before i don't i don't have much of his stuff but i do like him live so it's going to be a phenomenal show i think very cool yeah now that they were sufficiently far afield from cycling 
Hey, you uh, know, it's all part of how cycling fits in our lives, Patrick. If I can't race my bike, I'm just going to go see the show. That makes good sense. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I haven't really been doing a good job of watching social media lately. What have you been doing for bicycling? Anything we want to alert listeners to? It is Tour de France time, so no. My my, The only thing I will share, actually, I did a piece last year that we've repurposed this year because it's so popular on what exactly is happening to cyclists' legs when they get all that veiny stuff going on. Like when they look like spiders have set up a party in their legs this time yep. of year. Like yep. what, what that's all about. So I'll share that with you. Like that has been okay. my little contribution to the tour coverage. But I don't know if you noticed, but there is this big race going on right now that, that we didn't even talk about. But I, 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 I've picked <laughs> up on that. Yes. Yep. <laughs> it's been fun to watch. I, I, I think it's been fun to watch so far. So The little yeah. bit I've seen has been enjoyable. Yeah. Uh, but I, yeah, I watch it without the emotional investment that I used to have. I understand. We've had that talk, but yeah, yeah. I have it on the background and watching those guys super tuck and look behind them and do the stuff they're doing is still kind of exciting. It's pretty awesome. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Alrighty. Well, Hey, keep those questions coming. You all have been sending some great stuff. Uh, even if we didn't cover any of them this week, <laughs> if you've got an idea, please drop by RKP and put a suggestion in the comments. Before we go, I'd like to put in a plug for RKP's other podcast, The Pull. The show features artisans talking about their craft in one-on-one interviews. Think Terry Gross for cyclists. This week's show is Ryan Johnson of Galaxy Gearworks, a new frame builder who's got an impressive, diverse experience in the bike industry. And I wanted to talk to him about, you know, how his experience in the bike industry informed his uh his frame building and his decision to become a frame builder it's a really cool interview i i had a whole lot of fun with it he's also an old friend oh we hope you've enjoyed the show and if you have please leave us a good review on itunes or wherever you get your podcasts it makes us easier for other listeners to find until next week i'm patrick brady with celine yeager thanks for listening to the pace line